If you have the Bible with you, please turn with me to Luke 15. Luke 15 has a, a three parables, laws of parables. Um, as you know, it's the first one is the loads of sheep, loads of coin, and prodigal son. And today, this morning, we are going to look at the first parable, which is Luke 15, 1 to 7. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him and to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives the sinners and eats with him. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my ship, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. (laughs) Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Reformed churches, in Canadian Reformed churches, it seems that a sitting with your family is a very big deal during the worship service. And even now I see families are sitting together on each row. Of course, there are exceptions as elders are sitting on the front. But when elders not on the duty, I hear them saying something like, you're off the hook. Or finally, I get to sit with my family. Well, that explains how important it is to sit with your families during the worship service. And it's such a beautiful tradition in the Reformed churches. Seeing whole family coming to the Lord, singing together as a family, and listening to the word as a family is such a beautiful thing. Also, I found that sitting together can signify many things. I remember when I first came to Canada, and then I remember my first worship service, sitting on the pew one Sunday, and I discovered something very interesting about the Canada culture. One day, a young man was sitting in the church together with a girl, and the people around me started to raise their eyebrows. And it seems like they were suspecting that there's some kind of romantic relationship going on between those two. And of course, me as a foreigner, I was confused and I asked myself, how can you make that kind of speculation based on two people sitting together? But then something even more amazing thing happened. 
when the minister asked people to stand up, when the organist played the prelude, everyone stood up, and the people saw the two, people, two, two young men, young people, sharing the book of praise together. And that was the moment that people thought, that's it. There's no need to dispute. They got to get married. And I realized that it's a, it's a cultural thing. It, and it's, it's, of course, it's a beautiful culture. That I realized that sitting together and sharing book of praise were not just a source of a mere speculation, but there were a sign, there were the signs that confirm that they were in a serious relationship. And no wonder why people were raising their eyebrows. In the text that we just read, Luke 15, there were also some people raising their eyebrows. Luke 15 verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees and scribes saw that Jesus was being with tax collectors and sinners. Maybe Jesus was sitting with them on the same bench, sharing the same table, I don't know. But the text says that Jesus was receiving the tax collectors and sinners. And when they, when they saw Jesus was doing that, when Jesus was associating with the tax collectors and sinners, they probably were raising their eyebrows. What is he doing there? Of course, the reason why the Pharisees raising their eyebrows was different from the reason why people in Canarsi raise their eyebrows when they see the young couple sitting together. The Pharisees, the Pharisees not only raised their eyebrows, but they also grumbled. And we might wonder why they were grumbling. And let us consider the following theme and points when we listen to what Jesus says in Luke 15. The theme is, the Lord seeks the lost, one lost sheep who repents. At first point, Jesus draws the tax collectors and sinners. Second, Jesus tells the parable. And third, we are going to look at how he explains the parable. The first point, Jesus draws the tax collectors and sinners. The verse 1 start with the, starts with the tax collectors and sinners all drawing near to Jesus Christ because they want to hear his message. And then you probably know well that the tax collectors at that time were the last, probably the last person that you want to associate with because, because Israel at the time was under control of Roman Empire. They had to pay taxes to Rome. And the tax collectors were, were very nasty people. They were like a straw through which the Roman Empire sucked blood out of the Jews. They were considered to be like parasites. It is hard for us to imagine 
what kind, that kind of social tendency because we are living in a different time and different place. Perhaps, perhaps we can consider the tax collectors as those who collaborated with Nazis during the World War II. They're, they were considered to be traitors by their own people. Pharisees not only have patriotic reason to discriminate tax collectors and sinners, but they also had religious reasons to discriminate against the tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees, they thought the Messiah would come for those who are ceremonially clean. And in order to be clean, they had to work hard. They had to fast, pray, keep all those religious obligations. They had a special calendar, and then all those special things. It was really hard to, be, to keep all of those. And in the Pharisees' mind, the Messiah was not for the tax collectors because they were unclean by their nature. The tax collectors, of course, they, kept, they had to... They had to be friends with the Gentiles, Romans, who were unclean. But Jesus was reaching out even to those so-called parasites or unclean. More surprising thing is that Jesus even makes it clear in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, that he came for those people He said he was eating with a large company of tax collectors in Luke chapter 5. Pharisees grumbled there too. And then Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus was receiving those who know their sins and repent with their humble heart. And then we see in verse 2, that we hear the complaints continuing. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives the sinners and eats with them. Notice the word receives. It was not just like something like Jesus, was, just happened, Jesus happened to drop by a group of tax collectors and happened to have a dinner with them but rather he was receiving them actively. The imagery seems very, very similar to Psalm 23. We remember a famous confession in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And then in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, you prepare a table before in the presence of my enemies. Jesus was having a meal in the presence of those who hated him. And there Jesus was associating with those who were marginalized in the society, even ate with them. Jesus does not abandon anyone that who comes to him. Jesus said, he said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. It's John 6, 37. So when the tax collectors and sinners saw Jesus Christ, the true good shepherd, they knew that Jesus was the one whom they should follow. 
when they met Jesus Christ, they actually felt like they belonged to the covenant, and actually they were being cherished. Brothers and sisters, we need to see the huge difference between those Pharisees and Jesus Christ when it comes to the principle that they are, they are dealing with. The Pharisees, because they had to do hard work to earn their salvation through religious rituals, they thought the tax collectors and sinners did not belong to heaven. Pharisees, therefore, they marginalized the tax collectors. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, because he himself offered salvation, not based on our merit, he welcomed anyone, anyone who repented. Just like Jesus said in Luke 5, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The tax collectors, the sinners came to Jesus because they knew that they needed Jesus Christ. The religious leaders of Israel, they were supposed to take care of the flock. They were supposed to be a good shepherd. Yet they neglected those people who, those people because Pharisees and scribes were proud. Of course, they thought they kept all the laws. The sinners and tax collectors could not. Unless it's probably we might fall into this kind of temptations as well. For instance, let's imagine that someone from outside of church, someone we think as unclean, comes through that, that door, and he, I don't know, he might smell, he appears to be homeless, or he might be a Mennonite. But he comes to the church, this church, Owen Sound, Canadian Reformed Church, because he knows that Jesus will receive him. What would you do? What would be your reaction? Are you going to raise your eyebrows? Maybe he's not wearing a Sunday suit. Maybe he doesn't know how to sing from Geneva Psalter. He walks along the aisle and wants to sit right beside you. And, and the question is, are you willing to sit with him? Are you willing to share a book of praise with him? Are you willing to invite him for coffee? Well, let me ask you another question. Let's, let's say there's a brother who is under discipline or who has been excommunicated because he committed really committed a horrible sin. And he comes back to the church with contrary heart. He repents. And the question is, are we able to welcome the brother with our arms wide open? Or are we going to be a little hesitant to welcome him? Well, it's the, of course, this is a very, very difficult question. But if we know that the brother truly repented, then we know that we should accept him without any hesitation. But as we, uh, we being a sinful human being, of course, I myself 
we're likely to raise my eyebrows. Why is he here? But thankfully, in Luke 15, Jesus has a parable for you. This leads to the second point. Jesus tells a parable. Jesus begins to tell a parable. He starts with a parable with a rhetorical question. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Here the first sentence, what man of you indicates the proper obligation of the shepherd. Some other Bible translations translate it as, suppose one of you having hundred sheep. In other words, everyone knows, everyone thinks that going out there looking for the lost one is the right thing to do. In fact, looking for the lost one is a very normal thing to do. You see, Jesus is applying this story to every one of you who is listening, even to us. Let's say, if you, if you, lo- if you lost a cat or a dog or cow or even your housemate, would you not willing to go out there to find him? Please allow me to apply this story in modern sense. I remember, remember when I was young, I remember my dad once took me for a walk on a mountain with, with a few dogs. He usually, when he walks the dog, he usually put a leash on them. And on the mountain, he, my dad decided to give some freedom to the dogs by taking off the leash. And one, of the, one, one dog ran away and he decided not to come back. He wanted to enjoy his freedom. And, and then my dad and I were concerned, calling his name. His name was Lunchbox. And he didn't come back, perhaps. I don't know, he didn't like his name. But my dad, he didn't give up. He went out there. He decided to go out there to look for the lost dog. And he said, Han, why don't you stay here, look after these dogs until I find the lost one? Let me ask you, what would you do if you were my dad? And some may ask a question, what about the 99 sheep? What about, the text says, seems to say that the shepherd left the 99 in the wilderness, and he continues to look for the lost one until he finds it. Isn't the shepherd an evil shepherd since he abandoned 99 in the wilderness. What if there's a bear? What if there's a wolf? What about those poor 99 sheep? What about those dogs on the mountain? What about Han? Well, we shouldn't think as if the shepherd abandoned the whole flock by themselves. It is likely that in their culture at the time, that required more than one shepherd to watch that kind of flock. Of course, 100 requires more than one shepherd. Therefore, we shouldn't think as if the shepherd with cold blood 
abandoned whole flocks for the sake of one. Well, moreover, the word here, he, he leaves, the word leave does not really have the meaning of abandoning. Well, it is translated as a leave in a sense that when husband dies, he leaves behind his wife. It also can be translate, translated as a separate. In Matthew 19, verse 5, the same word is used. It says, For this cause, man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Here, they leave. Men leave their parents when they get married. Of course, it does not mean that men should abandon his parents when they get married and don't really care about them at all. The word leave should be understood simply as the opposite word of cleave, which means to separate. So the shepherd did not really abandon the flock. Actually, the one who does not go out there to find the lost one, that is the evil shepherd. But thankfully, in the parable, the shepherd leaves and to find the one lost sheep. And here is the great comfort for us. Jesus Christ, he's our true shepherd. Our shepherd persistently looks for the lost one until he finds him. It doesn't matter what you did It doesn't really matter what kind of wrong things that you did in the past. It doesn't matter whether you're poor or sick. He's looking for the lost one, even if it requires him to separate himself from the 99. In verse 5, once the shepherd found the lost sheep, he puts him on his shoulders. And I remember so did my dad. When he finally returned, he was holding the dog in his arm. For me, it was very surprising to see that because my dad, in my memory, he was always a strict man. Surprising, surprisingly, my dad didn't put the lash back on the dog, although he was dog, it was the dog that, who abandoned my dad. And I thought, perhaps, my dad should put uh, heavy chains around the neck of his neck for a lesson. And I thought, maybe he should put a handcuff on his paws to teach him a good lesson. But instead, he was carrying the dog in his arms. When I saw that, I almost felt a little bit bad because he didn't do that to me when I was lost once. Maybe he loved the dog more than me. What do you think? What do you think? Did he love the dog more than me? Do I have a right to be jealous? Do I have the right to complain? Dad, why did you do that? No. Because I understood the reason. It is not because he loved the dog more than he loved me but because of this overwhelming joy that comes from finding something that was lost once. And what he thought was lost was found. And I'm sure every one of you 
here probably had a similar experience. And this joy is so great, it's so great that the shepherd does not hold this joy to himself. He shares with others when he comes back. And that's what my dad did. My dad shared this joy with my mom. Although my mom, she doesn't like dogs, my mom always tried to get rid of dogs because they smell, they eat too much food, and they bark. But my dad knows that. He, he knows, but he, he knows that my mom would not be happy, but he told her story anyway. Why? Because it's such a great news that nothing could stop him to tell the story. If earthly father was so joyful about finding a little, that silly dog, how much more joyful would the heavenly father will be when he finds sinner repents? He'll be so happy when he hears the news that one of his lost child was found. In heaven, the, will be, the joy will be far much greater than what my dad had. And look at what the shepherd does in our text. The shepherd comes home. He calls together all, not only his friends, but also his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And brothers and sisters, that is the response of our good shepherd of Jesus Christ. When he finds, when he found each one of you sitting here. And that will be the response of our good shepherd when he sees one sinner repents with true his contrite heart. And of course, this explains why Jesus was receiving and eating with those sinners and tax collectors. We can draw near to him, not because we are worthy, but because Jesus is the one who paid ransom for our transgressions. In Isaiah 53, tells us, We all like sheep, having gone, have gone astray, each of us has turned to on our way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This leads to the third point. Jesus, he explains the parable. In verse 7, he tells us what the parable means. Remember that there, was, there were two groups of people who were listening at the time. One was tax collectors and sinners. The other group was the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Both groups, they heard the same story. Both groups, they know from the, the first part of the parable that they know that the right thing for the shepherd to do is to go out and to find the lost one. But even though they, the, both groups heard the same story, but, but the parable creates two different Reactions in those groups. One group, the tax collectors and sinners, they were comforted. They were comforted because they found that Jesus was the true shepherd who cares about them. The other group, 
the Pharisees probably felt a great shame in their heart because they probably well knew of the passage in Ezekiel 34. We also read Ezekiel 34, which is about warning against the leader of Israel who did not care about those people who were helpless. They didn't care, but they slaughtered the fat ones. The leaders did not feed the flock. They did not strengthen the weak. They did not heal the sick. They did not bound the injured. They didn't go out to look for the lost. The flock was scattered and nobody was going out to seek them. The Pharisees were the spiritual leaders of Israel, but they failed to shepherd them. Rather, the Pharisees were proud of what they have established. The Pharisees and scribes failed to see their sin and misery, whereas the tax collectors and sinners, they knew how sinful they were. Tax collectors and sinners were humble. And we see this contrast between Pharisees and tax collectors. When you when, when, when we read about the Jesus Christ talking about their prayer in Luke 18, the Pharisees, they stood up by, by, by himself and he, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like others, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. We are not like them. They are outside of the fence Whereas the tax collector, he could not even look up to the heaven, but beat his, his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Pharisees, they were happy with where they were. They were self-righteous people. They had nothing to do with the lost ones. Why would they go out there to look for the lost Pharisees and those spiritual leaders built a fence around them. When, they were, and when there was one repentant sinner come back, comes back to the church, they were not really happy because they were unclean. Unlike Pharisees, Jesus, unlike Pharisees, Jesus was different. Jesus Christ, our true shepherd, he genuinely welcomed sinners because he was the true shepherd that Ezekiel 34 was talking about. He said in Ezekiel 34:11, For those, says the Lord God, indeed I myself will search more my sheep and seek, out, uh, seek them out, as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. So will I seek out my sheep, and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloud and dark day. Perhaps we should ask this question to ourselves. Do we want to be like Jesus Christ or the Pharisees? Are we not unconsciously building our fence around us, not letting anybody else to come into the fence. Jesus says in verse 7, I will tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Brothers and sisters, this parable is very simple, yet very profound. This parable is a strong message to repentance and call to faith. If you repent from, from sin, no matter what, you, what the sin was, you will be welcomed. And you will be joined the great feast with our Savior Jesus Christ. Even the Pharisees are welcomed. They only had to repent. The Pharisees are the one who really needed to repent. And when people repent, and when they come back to the Lord, what should we do to them? Of course, our Lord said there will be great joy in heaven, and I think you know the answer very well. But whether the Pharisees, after they heard the story, whether they repented or not, we do not know. We don't know whether the Pharisees welcomed the tax collectors and sinners after they heard the parable. Luke does not tell us the end, how Pharisees reacted. And this parable is one of the series of three lost parables. And at the end, uh, the, the, at the end of Prodigal Son, the, the story ends suddenly. We don't see the reaction of the first son. We don't really know whether the first son welcomed the prodigal son or not. And this kind of sudden ending is also a message to call to repentance or call to action. We see a similar ending in the book of Jonah. It ends with, the, And should, not, should I not pay a pity Nineveh, the great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons, who cannot discern between their right hand and the, from their left and much livestock. Well, now you heard the parable. What do you think that you need to do? The parable is told to us. The story is asking you to act. Open your heart to those who repent. The ending is open. How would you like to end your story after hearing this parable. And brothers and sisters, do not, be, do not let yourself be like the boy who were being jealous of, on the mountain because his dad was, was welcoming the dog. Remember that we were, we were no better than any others outside of the church. It is mere God's grace that we are here. When there is a brother and sister, come back to the church if anybody outside of the church come, to church come back to the church to believe in Jesus Christ, we should rejoice. We can find this comfort of God's promise that the Lord is not, is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understood, understand slowness, instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen.